Uh, before we get into uh, the next installment of our Songs of the Heart series, just a, a quick story uh, that I think maybe some of you could relate with. Uh, I'm going to bring us back to uh, seventh grade, like middle school years. Uh, some of you against your wills, I know. Uh, seventh grade, uh, average uh, seventh grade boy. Uh, I desperately, desperately wanted, like most seventh grade boys, to be good at sports. Um, thinking like that would make me uh, like kind of boost my rank a little bit in the schoolyard, uh, I had some things stacked against me. Number one, I didn't come from a sports family, which is like strikes one, two, and three right there. So I thought that ship has sailed. Uh, baseball, football, basketball, like the big ones, are essentially out of the question. Soccer was fading quickly. Uh, I chose something rather obscure to be my thing that I was going to be good at. Wrestling. Now, it was popular like long before I was in seventh grade, but by the time I made it there, it's like, who wrestles? My older brother did when he was uh, in high school some years ago, seven years before, plus the difference. Quite a while ago, thinking, that's going to give me a leg up. See, I've been wrestling since I could walk losing most of the time, but I thought, that's going to give me the advantage that I need, the leg up on the competition. Unfortunately, it went nothing like that. You see, when I was in seventh grade, I was the, the like short kid in my class. I was also kind of a round kid in my class. Not like the ideal physique for wrestling, especially when you're organized by weight. So, I enter into this uh, field, this literal arena, and as the, the season progresses, I realize something. Not only do I not have the physique, I am terrible at this. I, I lost so often. Once, I remember tying, and I considered that a victory for me. You look for anything to hold on to, am I right? And this one time stands out in particular in my mind. I hear my name called, and I'm getting ready, doing whatever seventh grade boys do before they lose another match. I'm looking across the gym, and I can see my opponent also getting ready. More than that, I can see what my opponent is wearing. He's got, like, the uniform on, official uniform. He's got the the head thing to cover up his ears because he does this so often. He's got nice new wrestling shoes that fit. I've got my older brother's stuff that's way too big. I've got sweatpants with the holes in the knees. More than all of that, I can look, and from across the middle school gym, I can see this guy's like muscle tone in his arms and in his legs. He's easily got a foot on me. I'm wondering what seventh grader has to shave on a Saturday morning. Stepping into the the ring here, you've heard uh, fight or flight. That was not a question for me. By the time he caught me, I was wrapped up, my legs and my arms twisted in in so many bizarre ways that I didn't think they could be twisted in. And something you have to know about wrestling is that you can lose and you can also be pinned. And so my goal here is not winning or even tying. That's... That's out of the question. I'm just trying not to get pinned. Like burning time until the clock runs out. Legs, arms twisted up. Shoulders 
two inches from the mat, looking over at the ref, just praying for him to blow the whistle so I could just go home. I submit to you this morning that it's in that very same position that David finds himself in when he writes the song of lament, or as we'll see it, the song of protest. Uh, If you're new to this series, Songs of the Heart takes a look at uh, the Psalms with a P in Scripture in the Bible and, uh, and looks at these as songs that sort of convey whatever emotions that we have within us. We took a look at the Song of Envy, the Song of Praise, the Song of Loneliness. And now the song of protest or the song of lament. It's what these signs are all about. How, how are you feeling? And did you know that there is a corresponding song in the Bible to accompany that emotion? This morning, uh, Psalm with a piece 13 is written by David. It's uh, separated into like three verses without a chorus. And so we're just going to do this by taking a look at a verse at a time. Let me read the first one for you. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? Day after day have sorrow in my heart. How long will my enemy triumph over me? A couple of notes. You can imagine David writing this. He doesn't say us what it, he doesn't tell us what it is that he's wrestling with, but you can see day and night, all day long, all night long, wrestling with his thoughts, wrestling with this enemy. Now, most of the time, in most of the songs that we looked at in this series, we have something to hang on to. Like, in all of these, we don't really know specifically what he's writing for, but most of the time, he gives us some kind of clue. Like, his struggle is against the wicked people of the world, whoever they are. Or his struggle is against the, the nations that are around him somewhere. This time, it's interesting, because he doesn't tell us anything about who or even what his enemy is. But it's not like a generic kind of, like, things I struggle with. The enemy that he cites in here, it's singular. You see, there's just one enemy that he's thinking about. There's one person, there's one condition, there's one struggle that is keeping him up at night, day after day, night after night. Now, he doesn't tell us what that is. And I wonder, maybe it was just obvious. Like, who is the enemy that he's struggling with? Like, of course, it's the neighboring uh, Philistine country's commander. And he's outside the city gates, and the battle drums are getting ready, and, and this thing's just about to get hot. And he's saying, of course, that's who the enemy is. The entire city knows it. See, I wonder if maybe he doesn't say who or what that enemy is. Because somewhere in him, it lurks. I wonder if there's like this element of, of embarrassment or shame inside of him. 
If his enemy is the muscles in his legs and in his arms, just physically not wanting to move, anxiety gripping him, not letting him be king, not letting him be dad or husband or uncle or whatever. I wonder if the enemy that he's talking about is something so far before what was known then. I wonder if he would be diagnosed with something like depression. Who knows, right? The point is that whoever or whatever this enemy or this struggle is that David is going through, it has him. And we can see his legs and his arms are twisted out in ways he didn't think they could bend. Shoulders two inches from the mat. And he's just trying to hold out a little while longer, just praying, asking God to just blow the whistle and wrap this thing up once and for all. But there's a problem with that. The problem is that his legs and arms are wrapped up and he's looking over at God. And God isn't looking back. He says in this first verse, how long will you hide your face from me? How long are you going to look the other direction while I go through what I'm going through? How long are you going to ignore me? How long are you not going to notice? The face for David is significant. I think it is uh, for us too, uh, but especially uh, David takes on the significance that's talked about throughout uh, Scripture. In fact, I would argue that this was something uh, David heard about or thought about regularly, uh, David, uh, daily perhaps. There's a, a blessing that we've shared. You'll notice Brian said, uh, we believe God has the first word. And I always say at the end, God has the last word. Uh, sometimes I take uh, this selection out of uh, Numbers, the biblical book of Numbers, chapter 6. It's a blessing that God gave his people to share with the others. And he says, uh, bless your people and use these words. They might sound familiar. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord uh, shine his face on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Notice, twice. Twice in God's blessing is this reference to God's face shining or turning. I just imagine as the Israelite people, as they hear this blessing on a routine basis, as they think about the loving, fatherly, God's face looking on them and beaming with pride for his children. Or on the other hand, God's face looking on him, still beaming, but somewhat uh, miffed with what's happening. You see, it goes two ways. Uh, I think all of you have been in that situation. I, I know I certainly have. Uh, growing up, whether it was in church or at a wedding somewhere or wherever we found ourselves, where we're supposed to sit quietly. <laughs> like I mentioned, two older brothers. Uh, I think they took pleasure in uh, getting me in trouble at some points. 
whether it's playing games in the chairs or in the pews, uh, poking, squeezing, doing whatever for me to crack that noise threshold so that when I look down the aisle, I can see mom or dad or aunt or uncle or who is ever in charge of keeping me uh, obedient just glaring, right? Uh, Face uh, shining, beaming with a certain sense of Straighten up, right? Uh, Point is, when the face is turned towards you, this is not saying like, and God blesses whatever you're doing. This is not saying God is okay with whatever emotion, with whatever state, with whatever actions you're participating in at the moment. When the face is turned towards you, it simply means God takes notice. He sees it. Like David, wrapped up this enemy, just beating him. David is singing this song of protest saying, look at me. I think we can say along with David, I've sung that song before. You say, I've been in his shoes. I've had this experience with whoever or whatever it is, just wrapping me up, pressing my shoulders to the mat, just hoping, praying to last a little while longer, waiting for someone, for God to act, to do something, anything. I think we've been there. When the same fight happens over and over and over. You know what I'm talking about. Spouse, roommate, whomever. This is like, it's so common and so repetitive that beforehand you could actually script out, write what's going to happen, what he says, what she says, what the roommate says, whoever it is, what the friend says. You know everybody's tech. You know everybody's argument. And you can just write it out. And then just like that, no matter how much both of you desperately want to avoid it, run through the script, start from finish. Concluding with a slammed door, words said, conversation done. And now this realization that whatever this is, it's still winning. And it seems like no one takes notice. If it's not that, it could very well be the opposite. Uh, Day after day, night after night, wrestling with these thoughts. Every day is the same. Going to work, uh, talking happens a lot. Conversation does not. It seems like a lot of words are exchanged, but there's nobody who really connects in a way. Out of work, same story. Uh, Out with friends, it seems like conversation is always happening down the table somewhere. In the midst of all of this, thinking to ourselves, does it matter that I'm even here? I mean, is this experience any different if I were just to disappear? Would anybody even care? Because it feels like I'm just invisible. 
we heard about the song of loneliness two weeks ago. A lot of comments on that saying, there is that. And I don't know how to cope, how to overcome, how to deal with it. In the light of David's song this morning, wrapped up, legs together, arms together, two inches from the mat, trying to make it a little while longer. In the midst of a song like this, in the midst of a match like this, that's losing, that's not going well at all. I would argue this new emotion starts to take form. It's something like the combination of like frustration and anger is all kind of impatience wrapped into one. And it's something that I imagine takes David's fist and, and closes it and clenches his jaw as he writes the next lines to our psalm. Verse 3, look at me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I've overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. I almost got to ask, like, can you say that to God? I mean, David, having the experiences that he has going through life, considering him, himself and just what God has done for him up to this point, is that something that he could say? Is that something that we could say? There's something... Uh, couple things we have to notice about this. I, we named this um, uh, song this morning, the song of lament or the song of protest. It, that really comes from this middle verse in the psalm. There's just, there's so much here when he uh, like lashes out at God. On the one hand, you want to ask, can you say that to God? He kind of answers that by doing it. So what's the difference between the song of lament or the song of protest and just being angry and just venting and being impatient and just giving in to your frustration? There's got to be a difference if this is going to be helpful for any of us today. And also, what happens when we lack this song of protest, song of lament? Um, For the first question, what do we have to notice about this? There's uh, many of you, some of you have kids. All of you have uh, at least been around them at some point, <laughs> probably here in church on Sunday morning, when a uh, little one, baby, just lets out uh, a shriek. And just like ear-piercing scream. I mean, one of those things, if you happen to be holding her, uh, it's like ringing in your ear afterward. This is not the kind of shriek that says, maybe she'll just fall asleep again. <laughs> no, no, no. This is, that's not going to happen. <laughs> this is the kind of, hey, hey, pay attention now kind of thing. And then what happens? Like everybody jumps in. Mom, dad, grandpa, grandma, 
friendly stranger, someone offers a toy, starts smiling, giggling, laughing, picks her up, soothes her, does whatever it takes to calm her down, even just for a moment. Next time you hear, I'm just like waiting for a kid to just like scream out or something, but I think they're all in nursery right now. Next time we hear uh, the scream, the song of lament comes in full force. Uh, Protest. Hey, do something about this. Notice something. For a, a baby to sing the song of lament, there has to be somebody who listens. Kids do not scream and cry if they believe that no one will come to help them. In fact, if someone screams and cries, you know instinctively that they believe somewhere inside of them that someone will act. The same thing goes with the argument between roommates. I mean, the the script is like set out, beginning, middle, and end. You know how it goes. And and yet, within it, three-quarters of the way through, the yelling and screaming begins, and the fight ensues. And you know exactly what's going to happen, and then it does happen. Challenge this week. Accept the yelling, accept the words, as a protest, saying within this other person, there is something inside of them that believes that their words will not fall on deaf ears. Between arguing spouses, there's something deep within both of them is why they yell that what they say is not going to be ultimately useless. If they really believed that, they wouldn't say it. If David, wrapped up in exactly what he's wrapped up in, shoulders two inches from the mat, if he honestly believes that God would not listen, would not turn his face toward him, we would have no Psalm 13. We would not have a good number of Psalms in that book of the Bible. He just wouldn't say it. challenge, accept the words, accept the protest as a belief. There's something in them that believes things could be different when they say those words. But on the other hand, uh, when we're on the side of saying those things, there's a Danger here of crossing over from the line of protesting when we see something uh, unjust happening and giving in to this anger, to this frustration. I would say if we have the choice between uh, protesting, lamenting too often or protesting too little, we're probably going to end towards the too little piece. I mean, I know I'm guilty of this myself. Um, It's not that I just get too bent out of shape about uh, the awful things that happen in the world. The problem is that we just sort of have this general belief that God is good and is just and knows everything and will act, that we don't bring it up. 
Maybe for David, it isn't so much demanding that God turn his face, but David has to voice this protest in order to change himself to get more more in line with what God was looking for in the first place. I'll say it like this. What happens when we give up on lament, on protest completely? When we see the injustice, when we see the bad guy winning, when we see David's shoulders two inches from the mat, and we just say, nothing at all. What happens when a baby stops crying entirely? Just done. Just gives up on the hope that anyone cares. Regardless of the fact that there may very well be someone who cares, when the child gives up, it's over. There's a... um, relationship expert that did some work in the early 90s. Um, And I don't think it has to always be applied to uh, romantic relationships. But in this case, uh, it is. Again, probably any kind of a relationship. But he said, um, relationships don't end in a bang. They end in a whimper. Which is to say, when there is passion between two people, and they are protesting loudly, and they are angry. They could go about that in a hundred different ways that are not right, but at the essence, the passion that they have, demanding that the other person is heard, hears them and acts accordingly. Within them, the belief that they will change, that they will act, that they will run the vacuum cleaner across the carpet a couple of times. There's hope there. When the bang is gone and all there's left is a slammed door and nothing at all, that's where danger sets in. So, uh, lament in this middle passage. Uh, The big question was, can you say this to God? Look at me and answer me. Uh, Yes. If it's done in the right context, uh, lament, protesting the injustice, the bad guy winning. And also, uh, should we do this? Absolutely. It's dangerous when we give up holding God accountable for him being a just, merciful kind of God. Something we have to notice about this is that as he makes his way through singing the song of protest, the song of lament, even as he concludes the song, he's still wrapped up. He, he's still got his shoulders bound, or his, uh, his legs bound, and his arms tied up. He's still two inches from the mat, just about ready to get pinned. The bad guy is still winning when he finds the strength to write the last verse. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. 
I will sing the Lord's praise. For he's been good to me. He's still losing when he writes that. It's interesting because there's nothing in here that says, and then everything turned around and I started winning. There's nothing in here that says, and then this happened, and then this happened, and now everything is so much better. Uh, David knows something here. By voicing his uh, lament, his protest, he's giving it away. He's saying, this is no longer my responsibility. God, I believe that you are just and you are good and you are merciful. And so I'm saying, God, do something about this because I'm losing here and this might cost me dearly. And then David, and this is the hardest part, I believe, for all of us. And then David lets it go to the one who can and will act. There are some things, though, that we have to realize it is just perpetually a struggle. Some things that always unjustly have us wrapped up, legs, arms, two inches from the mat, just trying to hold out a little while longer. There is this certain uh, ugliness inside of all of us, this certain beast that rears its head in a hundred different kinds of forms. Call it thinking too highly of yourself. Call it uh, going off the rails in anger. Call it looking at a woman, at a person, and just thinking certain things about them that you just know are not right. Call it whatever you want. Call it sin. We cannot beat this on our own. It will end us given enough time. To go back to that original image that comes from David all day long, all night long, in this wrestling match with my thoughts, with my enemy. I submit to you that in the very uh, depth of, of losing, we're tagged out. I mean, there's no other way to put it, right? Is that uh, in the midst of all of this, of just protesting and handing this all over to God, the one who can act, the one who will act, and saying, this is no longer my responsibility. Do something, God. And Christ steps in and says, "Um, it's by my power, by my strength, by my death and resurrection that we will overcome sin and death. Uh, Let's pray together.